Good morning. Uh, the very first thing I want to say is I missed y'all. I don't know. Uh, between taking kids to camp in Colorado for a week, uh, having a month-long summer assignment in North Carolina at one of our Young Life camps, Windy Gap, uh, a, a couple of family road trips. Uh, I think I've been gone almost all the summer. And some of you have very kindly, uh, some of you that have, seen, have very kindly said, hey, Orlando, we've missed you so much. And for that, I'm absolutely grateful. Thank you so much. Some of you uh, didn't even notice I was gone. Uh, and that might be because you were gone so much too. I'm not sure what that says about either of our attendants uh, this summer. But uh, as I mentioned, my sons and I uh, got to spend a month at one of our Young Life camps in, Colorado, in uh, North Carolina at Windy Gap. Uh, and we had an amazing time. We had the opportunity to see God do some amazing things in the lives of the almost 1,600 students and leaders that came through that camp over the course of four weeks. Uh, we got to see about 400 decisions for the Lord over those four weeks. It was an amazing, amazing time. Uh, my beautiful wife and my daughter joined uh, me and the boys for the last week, about eight days of the trip to share in our experience. And so we had a great time at Windy Gap. And uh, while we all flew to North Carolina, I, I had a bright idea for our trip home. None of us had ever seen that part of the country. And so I thought, why don't we do a road trip home? It's only 20 hours. So we decided on a 20-hour road trip home, we got to drive through the Great Smoky Mountains, uh, and, and specifically Pisgah, the Pisgah National Forest, where they filmed Last of the Mohicans, and this, this small movie called The Hunger Games. Uh, they did that in the Pisgah National Forest. Uh, we enjoyed time in Dollywood. I did not know that I would love Dollywood. <laughs> but I did. <clears throat> we got to uh, have a Segway tour do, through downtown Memphis, including Beale Street, the, the home of the blues. And that was so exciting. And uh, to be honest, years ago, I would not have attempted a 20-hour road trip with my family because we didn't know how to travel. Not every family learns how to travel. This is before DVDs and cars and things. And uh, my, my immediate family, my mom and my brother are here. They can testify to this. We did not learn how to travel well. And so there was a lot of bickering in the back seat. Uh, my brother, again, it was mostly his fault because we would draw an imaginary line between us to define our territory. And he would cross the line with a finger. Not touch me, but he would cross the line ever so slightly and then look at me. And that would drive me crazy. We didn't know how to travel. My family, uh, again, years ago, we wouldn't have done it because we didn't know how to travel. But we've, we've since learned how to travel. Uh, uh, my children grew up before DVDs in the car was a thing and just knowing where we were going wasn't enough. We had to learn what to do while we were on that journey. And so we've learned that even though my kids are 20, 16, and 13, 
listening to Adventures in Odyssey, the Focus on the Family radio, kids radio program, uh, that keeps everyone happy regardless of how long the trip is, including mom and dad. We've learned to play games like Buzz. Uh, You'll have to ask me about that later. Or games like I'm going to space and I'm taking X. If you need need that information, I can get that to you very easily. We've learned how to play a few other games just to pass the time. And now we can handle the journey well, even a 20-hour road trip, because we understand what we do until we get there. Over the course of this summer, our sermon series is focused on First and Second Thessalonians in light of the end times, the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, judgment after Christ's coming, the man of lawlessness. And Paul does this wonderful job of laying out all these details about the end, about where we're going, where we're headed, But we haven't gotten to the end, have we? I think Paul can hear the thoughts of the church, of the Thessalonian church. I think he can hear them say, great, Paul. We know what happens at the end. We know where we're going. But what about right now? What about as we journey to get there? And Paul does a great job of answering, what do we do while we wait? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You can find that on page 990 in your pew Bible. I'm going to ask that you just hold your finger there. We'll weave in and out of the scripture. It'll be projected uh, and you can follow us. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness and your faithfulness. And we're thankful that while we have not yet reached the end, You teach us how to journey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We can start right there at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And here's what Paul writes. Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing, that you are doing and will do the things we have commanded. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. What are we supposed to do while we journey towards the end? What are we supposed to do now? Paul makes it really clear, and I love that. He just starts out this final section. He says, finally, brothers, and then he gives that very, very first instruction. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. What are we supposed to do while we wait? We're supposed to use the powerful and effective weapon in our arsenal. We are supposed to pray. I'm excited that Dan's being brought on to help uh, increase that prayer emphasis within the church. I've heard part of his vision and know he's going to get to share that. I love this idea because a praying church is a powerful church. I don't know if you understand how powerful prayer is. The church moves forward because the saints of God pray. Amazing things happen because 
people pray. I'm sure you've seen it in your life. I'm sure you've recognized in your life those moments when you've come to the Lord and something needed to change, something needed to happen, and you came before him in prayer, and God responded to your prayer, and things changed. That's why Paul, in 1 Thessalonians, his previous letter to the Thessalonians, writes in there, what? Pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Pray. And here's what I think the amazing thing about prayer is. Prayer isn't about changing the mind of God. We think that's what it's about. We think that if I pray enough, that God changes his mind. Prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer really is about changing us. Through prayer, we express the fact that God, I understand, I am not in control. And I need the help of the creator of the universe. He is the one who is first and last. He is the one who is the beginning and the end. And so until I get to the end and I journey on this, I, got, I have to know someone who's already been to the end because he is eternal, who knows the end because he is omniscient. And I can say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand. Let me pray and recognize that I'm not in control of the situation. We don't like the fact, we don't like not being in control. And we want to be in control, and sometimes we want to use our prayers to change God. But prayer changes who we are. Greater than I know we should pray. But what should we pray about? I think Paul does a great job of laying that out also. The very first thing Paul says is pray for us. Who's us? Paul and his team. How should we pray as we journey towards the end? You know what? We should be praying for all of those who work in the ministry of the Lord. We should be praying for our pastors and our uh, evangelists and our missionaries. This is a great resource. I don't know if you've ever taken the opportunity, but every week there's a missionary prayer concern there. There's a missionary that you can pray for. There's the Deagle People Group, the Unreached Deagle People Group, and some prayer directions there. You can pray for those doing the work of ministry. But you know what? As we pray for those doing the work of ministry, we don't have to pray for those who are across the sea like Billy Swan or who are in uh, uh, Central America like Greg and Faith Hurst. We don't have to just pray for them. As we pray for those doing the work of ministry, guess what? We can look right here. And we can pray for those who pray for us. Murray tells me all the time, and I know it's absolutely true. Murray will look at me and say, Orlando, I'm praying for you every day. And I know he is. And every every once in a while, especially if I'm going to preach, I'll get a text from Howard. Praying for you tomorrow, my brother. And I know he is. And if I'm absolutely honest, I know I don't pray for them as much as I should. And Paul's saying, until we get to the end, pray for those who work in the ministry of the Lord. Paul says, pray for us. But it's not just about praying for those who work in the ministry of the Lord. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Pray for the advancement of the kingdom. 
We pray it in the Lord's Prayer, but I don't know if we understand exactly what we're asking. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not in the future, but now on earth, even as it is in heaven. Pray that the work of the Lord might be advanced. Pray that the work of the Lord might be advanced here in Amarillo. Pray that the work of the Lord might be advanced as young life develops a presence at Caprock. Pray that the work of the Lord might be advanced as we start our very first wildlife club in Sam Houston. God, move your work forward. Some amazing things are happening at Sam Houston. We're starting a a wildlife club, which is an appropriate name for a middle school young life, wildlife. We're starting a wildlife club. I've been praying for the advancement of the work of the Lord. And I look, and people are like, oh, Orlando, you're doing great things at Sam Houston. And I'm like, I'm watching great things happen at Sam Houston. Because... I'm just praying that God does the work and the Lord's moving ahead and working with the principal and working with the teacher leader and bringing a team together that wants to. And I'm like, God, I am amazed. But it's in response to the prayers of the saints asking that the word of the Lord, that the work of the Lord would be advanced. Pray for those who minister in the work of the Lord. Pray for the advancement of the work of the Lord. Pray for our fellow believers. He says, Paul does this. Paul prays for the church, in the, the Thessalonian church. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts. And he begins a sweet prayer for them. Pray for those around you. Great, pray for Murray. Pray for Dan. Pray for Howard. Pray for Kim. Pray for the advancement of the work of the Lord here in Amarillo and across the globe. But pray for Martin, too. And Stan. Pray for Hugh. Pray for Cole and Jennifer. Again, this is a great resource. Every week, I don't know if you know, they have an alphabetical rotation of people in the church that you can be praying for. Susan Adams, Christy, Martin, Peyton, and Scout Adams, Joyce and Matt and Andrew and Abby Admire. I guess we're in the A's right now. Chuck and Melody Alexander. Carol Alps, pray for them. What do we do while we wait? We pray. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's our Old Testament passage. Call out to him while he's near. And while we journey, he can still be found. And yes, he's still near. Paul continues in verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we, we may not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 
For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own livings. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he, he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. What do we do? We pray. What do we do? We continue to work. We continue to live the life. Commentators say that, uh, commentators have speculated that some in the church were so focused on the imminent return of Christ that they'd stop working. What's the point in working if Christ is coming any day, any moment, any minute now? Their hearts and heads were so focused on the future that they had forgotten that their feet were firmly planted in the present. And it isn't just about working. That's not the idea. It's really about living this life, living this life out in all of its elements and all of its facets, working and playing and being with family and doing all of those things. Paul is saying while we wait, we continue to live this life. And it's not just about living this life here inside the church. It is about living this life out in our community. Here at First Pres, we call that idea being missional. And it's one of the core values of who we are as First Presbyterian Church. We come to church, we gather together, and then we leave the church and we live our lives outside of the church in our communities and with our friends and with our families. And this idea that the church shouldn't sequester itself and only do churchy things isn't something that started with First Presbyterian Church. This idea of going out and getting involved in the community and getting involved with your neighbors, while it seems to be a popular new concept and the buzzword didn't start recently in the past 10 years. It didn't start with the big mega churches who wanted to be very connectional. It didn't start with any of them. This idea has been part of the heart of God for all time. As a matter of fact, while Jesus was on the earth, at Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, go therefore... He tells his disciples, go. It's called the Great Commission. He didn't say, hey, stay in the church. He says, hey, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Go. While we wait, we live our lives. I believe that under the cross, we are called to live that very vertical life that is us in connection with God. But I believe what Paul is saying here is, hey, don't stay just vertical. Remember that you have a horizontal life that you need to live as well, and that's you in connection with the community. Reverend Sammy Rodriguez of uh, the National Evangelical, the National Hispanic Evangelical Association puts it this way. He calls it reconciling Billy Graham's message and Dr. Martin Luther King's march. It's about connecting with God and having a heart for others. But let's be clear, it's not just about living any kind of life. Paul makes it clear, it's about living a holy life. C.S. Lewis says, when we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. While we wait, we live. We live in holiness so that the world can hear our message. 
We don't refute the message of our mouths with the living of our lives. While we wait for our ultimate redemption, how we live matters. Last couple of verses, starting at verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness of every letter of mine. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I grew up in an Assembly of God church. And while a lot of churches don't talk about the end times, and they don't talk about the end times because it can be a little disconcerting, it can be a little... um, It can cause a little bit of anxiety, judgment, the man of lawlessness, those kind of things. In the Assembly of God Church, we did talk about the end times. And we talked about um, the rapture of the church where God would gather the believers here on earth and we would disappear from the earth and meet Christ in the air. We talked about that. And we, we talked about being left behind. Maybe you've read some of those books. We talked about all those things. And I will be honest. I was young, and I had given my life to the Lord very young. Gave my life to the Lord when I was eight years old. But talking about all these end time things still made me really nervous. And I thought, there's going to be this moment where people in this world are going to disappear, and I don't want to be left behind. And every once in a while, I'd come home, and I remember just thinking, once I came home, and mom and dad's car was still parked in the driveway, But there was no one home. And I thought, oh my gosh. I was left behind. And I thought, no, 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 my brother Sammy's with me. And then I realized, no, he'd probably be left behind too. So I called someone from the church, the most holy, godly woman in the church, to see if she, and so I dialed her number. This is before caller ID and everything. Called her number. She, hello, and then I hung up on her. I thought, okay, if she's here, then, then nothing has happened. I didn't get left behind. I was, in, I was anxious. I was in a panic. But that's not what Paul wants to do. Paul finishes out his letter where he's laid out these end time ideas. And he's like, now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. At all times and in every way. Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand that his message that he's sharing isn't cause for fear or trouble in his hearts. Paul ends with a clear reminder. While you wait, God's going to give you peace about it all. I like the way Jesus said it. John 14, 27. This is my dad's favorite verse. Pasos de homie pasos, Lord. No como el mundo la da, yo os lo doy. No se turbe vuestro corazón. I can hear my dad repeat that time and time again. And it's peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. While we wait, we wait in peace. And we wait in perfect peace because he is the God of peace, the Prince of peace. What do we do while we wait? We pray. We live, we work. And we experience his peace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I pray that you administer to our hearts. And help us to focus on working for you as we wait. And praying for those who work in the ministry, for the advancement of the kingdom, and for each other. In the midst of all that, give us peace. In the name of Jesus.